be full of fright. I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Hello. Hi. At the devil's ball. At the devil's ball. Welcome to The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. This is episode 19, Ladies of Hell, Yokai Edition, and I'm your host, Jacob. I'm Victoria. I'm Jamin. <laughs> I feel like we always have the same tone, me and Jamin. Resignation. Did anybody bring anything to the party? Yes. I found this delicious sake called Four Fox Sake. It has this amazing website with these lovely, this lovely image of four foxes guarding the temple of Inari. And there's a lot of talk on the website about swordsmiths and this great tradition of swordsmiths and Shinto religion and foxes and sake. And I don't think they get the pun in the name. There's a pun? Say it out loud. For For fox. Fox. Sake. 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 They're cute. Look at them. They got little ears and noses and little tails. I... And only the purest of spirits get to yeah. pass the gate. But say it, say it again. Do, do you not hear it? For Sp- fox spirits? Sake. Like sake is a spirit, only the purest spirit? I kind of uh, get it. it it's going you're, you're, to hit you. You're, okay. you're, 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 you're going to. I know like in, in 10 minutes you're going you're gonna to be like, oh. So just, just wait for it. Yeah. Clearly this is a thinker. I'm I'm more concerned about the metalsmiths and the sake. Like you really shouldn't be handling molten iron while drunk. I mean, what are we what are we advocating here? <laughs> I had sake once, and I also had rice that I had left in the freezer for two weeks too long once. And they had very similar flavor profiles. Imagine that. Yeah, funny. Hmm. Well, I have some entertainment. Being assaulted with red hot feet. Feet. Yes. Like, like, somebody's kicking you madly with red hot feet. Definitely. That is short and succinct. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the explanation says it all. I mean, like, we really don't have to discuss this. It's clear. It's to the point. Uh, yes, I need to talk with my randomizer about the length of the most recent ones. It's, it's not volatile or uncertain. <laughs> Vuka is displeased. I feel like this is one that could come to pass. I mean, we could achieve it if we mm-hmm. had red hot feet. No, yeah. to define red hot. Like, does it mean like like they're fiery hot, or are they like dipped in cinnamon? I was gonna say like, hot. Spirit Airlines. The kid behind you spilled his red hots. They're in his shoe. Torture, right there. Huh. So there's this oil that you use for certain for like the sacrament of baptism, and it's got a very heavy cinnamon and clove note to it. If you have sensitive skin, it will like inflame your skin. So like I I did that for confirmation. I had this red cross burned into my forehead for a few hours. Yeah. Oh geez. Are you like, sure it was the oil? Yes, pretty sure. <laughs> so maybe something along the lines of that, like uh, like a massage oil or something like that. Babies have very sensitive skin. Why would you dip your babies in red hot oil? I was fourteen. <laughs> so wow. Do you think Do you think Moloch cares how old you are? <laughs> fair, fair. 
I have wow. finally got the top off. And I'm going to spend this episode drinking an entire bottle of peanut butter whiskey. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh-huh. I had some of the the one you gave me. Did you did you drink it cold or warm? Just uh, straight out of the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> but it was icy cold. It had been in the freezer. It wasn't bad, was it? I feel like it? that was a serving suggestion. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a thing. Lots of people, yeah, it's kind oh, of a thing right now. Oh, you didn't like it. Oh, no, no, I did like it. It was oh, okay. It was different than I expected. You don't, I'm not saying you have to. It's like there's, there's taste for a reason, but. Oh, no, but I think it's enjoyable. Hmm. It's enjoyable. It's different from what I'm, I usually encounter. As usual, I've been lazy this week, so I, I ordered out it's restaurant food again. Um, and we're doing breakfast from Kirby Lane. Mm. Those of you that live in Austin love Kirby Lane. Those of you mm. that don't live in Austin, uh, please don't move here. We're full. <laughs> so Kirby Lane is this great little breakfast cafe. And they do Eggs Benedict. And they have a Mm -hmm. seasonal variant where they do Eggs Benedict on avocado toast. Mm. Mm. That covers a lot of Of course they do. Can you say decadent? Oh, man. The the ham, the egg, the hollandaise sauce, the avocado toast. And it's Texas toast, too. Ooh, For those of you not in Texas, uh, Texas toast is a super thick slice, buttered, fried bread. Is it fried or just toasted and... That's fried. I think, yeah, it's often yeah. fried, especially like if you go to Sizzler and it's the Parmesan. Oh, and it's a super thick, just delicious, crusty, flaky, soft. And again, if you don't live in Texas, uh, please don't move here. We're full. We're full of toast. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we can't move because we're bloated on toast. <laughs> toast bloat. Let's see. Oh, uh, demonology course taught in Texas public school. <gasps> Tell me more. And where do I sign up? Super excited. Professor Joseph Laycock, Texas State University, has been teaching a course on demonology and exorcism in their growing religious studies department. I think it was kind of one of those let's get some butts in seats courses. And it's got some positive acclaim and it's been fairly popular. But I looked at his, what's the word? Syllabus? Academics have it. Curriculum oh, CV? Yeah. And uh, he's done a lot of books that were on my Amazon wish list. He's written Speak of the Devil, which is like the book on the Satanic Temple, and the Penguin Book of Exorcisms, which I really love the Penguin Book of Hell, and that's definitely on my list. Dangerous Games, What the Moral Panic Over Role-Playing Games Says About Play, Religion, and Imagined Worlds. So he's dipped into the RPG world. Cool. I really want to go down to San Marcos very soon and uh, ambush him outside of his office. It's so far away. <laughs> we could make a day of it. I feel like that's worth it. Like, we could, yeah, maybe have him as a guest or interview him. Yeah, there is a problem, though, because TSU is on the other side of the river, and I'm not sure that podcasters can cross running water. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Maybe we could do that, you know, like the chicken, the fox, and the bag of grain thing. Ooh, ooh, which one am I? Which, I think <laughs> I'm a bag of grain. <laughs> I want to be the chicken. Okay, <laughs> Jacob gets to be Mr. Foxy. No. Although, to be fair, <laughs> it is Town Lake, and I don't know if that's running water. Uh, it's point. mostly algae yeah. and, and mm-hmm. hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a, a thin layer of, of, of hipsters. 
So this week, uh, Ladies of Hell, the Yokai edition. Ooh. We were looking at kind of afterlife and underworld cultures, and it seemed like the Japanese mythology had an awful lot of really interesting female characters. So we thought that might be a fun part of our sort of three to eight episode saga on uh, <laughs> the Ladies of Hell. It keeps expanding. Yeah, I'm, That's I'm fine. okay. Which is fine. I think it's great. We can have an eight-episode trilogy. No problem. Sure. Mm-hmm. At some point, it does become a... I think it... Oh, if we could make it seven, that would be ideal. Let me ask the first question for everyone else, because I know I already know the answer. But uh, what is a yokai? Asking for a friend. Well, a yokai is kind of a broad category of spirits. Uh, I think it's one part animistic references from local myth, one part Buddhist mythology, one part urban legend and campfire stories. And it's kind of this mishmash of entities. Some of them have names. Some of them are individual critters. Some of them are really well-known things like the kappa. Uh, some of them are really urban legends. And they just kind of flow together into this mix of numinous, touched by the supernatural, spiritual things. Usually a little malevolent, or at least trickstery. Not always. Um, the word comes from the... Uh, the word yokai comes from the kanji for bewitching, attractive, calamity, and mystery, mystery, apparition, suspicious. So it's kind of like... If you take the first letter of all those words, does that not spell VUCA? <gasps> it spells Bacmus. <laughs> I was so close. Yeah, we could reorganize the letters somewhat. but um, <laughs> Please do. Okay, so explain to me why there's an umbrella with a shoe... And a tongue. I, like, <laughs> I see, like, it's an umbrella, it has a tongue, and a single shoe. <laughs> I was walking down the aisle of H Mart, and there was a paper cup of sake with an umbrella and a tongue and a shoe. And I looked at it, and I was like, that's a yokai. So uh, a question would be, how long do we keep, like, a pair of shoes here? Or how, I mean, your laptop is, like, 30 years old at this point, I'm yeah, pretty sure. Yeah. So that's kind of an exception. But, um, you know, how many things in our lives, including like our house, are going to last more than 50 years or so? The answer is not many. Um, so there's a one category of yokai is the, oh, I'm going to butcher this word, sukomugami. Sukomugami. These are kind of a broad category of 100-year-old objects. And after 100 years of either loving use or neglect, one of the two, things animate and they take on spiritual characteristics and trickster natures. So a 100-year-old umbrella turns into that bouncing umbrella thing with one huge eye and a long lolling tongue. A 100-year-old screen is covered with eyes and kind of represents like the creepy voyeuristic moment of someone watching you while you sleep. Hmm. There's some related things like 100-year-old cats become cat demons, that sort of thing. If you played Pokemon Go, you know that one critter that's like a raccoon that turns into a flying squirrel? No. Okay. Yes. I mean, uh, yes, the... Uh, uh, mm. Nice save. Quick, quick, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. That's a 100-year badger, basically, uh, another another uh, yokai. Interesting. We kind of have something similar to that here in Texas, where if you leave something in the back of the fridge long enough, it... Gains sentience. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's fair to say the yokai are demons. That's I think they've been called that once or twice. But like in the Greco-Roman sense of the word demon, where demons were kind of edgy, slightly malevolent, but they were just smaller things that partook of the divine. They're like that. They're they're numinous, mysterious critters. Okay. Okay, I can buy that. Or angry ghosts. Like the Rengu cycle is kind of tied into the Yurai tradition, which is another type of uh, yokai, the angry ghost. So what is the difference between Oni and yokai? Is there a difference? No, not really. Um, I mean, one is a subset. Uh, Oni are like angry red demons with tight pants, uh, usually, no, always male. There are female versions of yokai, including the kijo, which is from the Japanese kanji, meaning oni and woman. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, but that's, it's another, another kind of big group. It's, that's basically, those are more accurately like Judeo-Christian demons. They're kind of malevolent, uh, fiery, stormy things. Mm, Okay. I have to say a lot of these uh, yokai names are puns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. Like one of the big ones we're going to talk about is uh, Tetsuba, whose name means something along the lines of taking out the laundry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the one, the, the greater, the object-based yokai, I think that was a pun. I don't recall exactly what it is though or even oh. like the the description so like the the roku rokubi where the the gal whose head like when she's sleeping her head flies around and leaves her body alone or she just has a super long neck and it stretches out right and that mm-hmm. it's literally like the neck stretchy woman which you know. <laughs> isn't that a neil diamond song neck stretchy woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> i love that one <laughs> One kind of challenge in framing this episode is going to be that there really isn't a strong idea of hell in Japanese mythology. There's kind of two ideas that play against each other a bit. There's the Yomi, which I think is from the Shinto religion. It's very much the gray wasteland, Hades or Sheol. Uh, We've dealt with that concept a few times now. It's just kind of storage place for the dead. No judgment, Mm -hmm. just that's where you go. Boring. Yeah, that. Yawn. (laughs) <laughs> and the much more colorful Buddhist hells, of which there are 24,000 plus, mm. uh, extremely exciting places where people suffer in a variety of manners. And it actually kind of reminds, reminds me of the side conversation we had on uh, hells in Hindu mythology, which we'll certainly go into more. But this was just like, I happen to like those pictures. Yes. And they're, they're related mythologies. They kind of come from a common source if you go back far enough. One uh, Buddhist hell is Shugojikugo. The crushing hell, which is reserved for sinners who have stolen things. It's a very bad place. You're crushed between mountains of iron, pulverized into bloody jelly. When the mountains separate, life is restored and you're kind of resurrected and healed. And there are razor-like leaves with, with beautiful men and women that beckon to lost souls from the tops of the trees. And you climb up to the top of the tree to do whatever you're planning. And then they're at the bottom laughing at you. And you have to go down. And all this is on a razor-sharp tree, so evisceration happens. Very colorful hells. Wow. I have not been beckoned recently, so I could I could see the appeal. It's I think yeah, the longer it's been since you've been beckoned, the more likely you are to get all to to fall for that mm. whole slicey slicey tree. The slicey foliage, yeah. Yes, the sexy slicey tree. <laughs> I I picked up a massive physically dangerous tome called Hell in Japanese Art. It's, Ooh. It's, 
absolutely huge, and it's filled with pictures of torments and things like that. And, you know, they all have kind of a, a lot of them have like a humorous element to them. Like the demons look kind of chuckly and smiley and cartoony. Um, you and had me like, at it's filled with pictures. It, well, it's a book on pictures. Um, so I think that these are not necessarily like God finds you odious and holds you over the flaming pit like a spider on a web sort of thing. I think they're more, let's contemplate these images and live better lives because of them. So not like images of dread, but just kind of bad example mm. type things. See, once we get into Dutz Weber, I, I might have to make you take that statement back. So Ooh. Happily. Yeah. I, There's going to be a throwdown. She, uh, she definitely instills some fear into the small children's. Mm, okay. With Buddhist, how is there, are there, and I probably already know the answer to this, drawings like there are for the Hindu hell? Well, I just picked up this very large book called Paintings of Japanese Hell. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess yes. The answer is yes. Yes, extensive. They they were put up in like monasteries and things like that and put on screens and things in palace rooms. Yeah, yeah. It's a big tradition of them. So, so, but are they kind of that Richard Scarry sort of like? Oh, very you know? much so. Okay. Well, it varies. Some of them are sort of that Japanese s- s- scroll painting type work, that level of detail. Mm-hmm. Some of them are cartoons that look kind of like they were just done for fun almost. Hmm. It's, it's okay. a range. That's because I was when you described the book at first, I thought it was more like the, is it Hokusai who does the wave? Like these kind of scroll, like you said, the scroll paintings, rather than the sort of like Hindu diagrams. Um, they're not like broken up like the the Hindu ones were, okay. but like one of them, several of them are scrolls that are just very epically long, and they're about as complicated as a Where's Waldo picture. Cool. Okay, I like that. I'm, yeah, I'm even more interested now. D- should we start with Detsuba then? Yeah, let's let's go straight there. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. We talked a little bit about her uh, in our Rivers of Hell episode because she is camped out at uh, Sanzunokawa. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> or Sainokawa. I'm not going to try. This is the River of Three Roads. It's a place where the good go X, the bad go Y. It's literally and the, the River of Z. Three Roads, Sanzunokawa. Yes. In- yes. Oh, that's ha, hilarious. Huh? Walk, 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 walk. Um, <laughs> She kind of has this goddess of judgment thing happening. Uh, maybe she was some echo of an older death and rebirth goddess. It seems like every female death goddess is, is like a death and rebirth. Also, figure. a rebirth goddess. Yeah, that yeah, that's kind of a trope. Hmm. It's a thing, and her name means her name is old woman who strips clothes. She is, and I quote, a hag, like. She's a hag. I'm I'm sorry. She's a hag. No, yeah, absolutely. She's kind of got a grisly sort of scary mean thing. She's 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 a horror character. Um, Classic hag and yeah. a rebirth goddess. Possibly. Uh but she definitely strips you down of your clothing before sending you off to judgment, which kind of echoes maybe Anana's journey into hell a little bit where That's you what lose I was every mm-hmm. Yeah, got to got to be naked to face the goddess of death. Um, there's also a little bit of an Anubis slash Osiris myth happening too, because her partner Kinio hangs clothes on the trees and things like that. And the more sin you had in your life, the more they weigh down the trees to show how sinish you were. 
and she will happily break your fingers or whatever if you've been a sinner. So you know how that works, right? Like the Breaking sin? fingers? Uh, mm. <laughs> Don't answer that one. <laughs> so back when I was a TA. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. So they're on the other side of the river, the Sanzu River. And how you get across the river depends on your life. If you were an incredibly good person, you take the bridge across. If you were, uh, let's just say, you know, mischievous and impish, if you were a Jamin, not terrible, but not great, you waited across. And if you were just absolutely the worst possible person ever, you had to swim across, right? Mm. And then you get. I have a question. Go ahead. Is this the same myth as the Vitarna River or a different myth as the Vitarna River? Oh, huh. Uh, That's right. Mm hmm. Uh, no. Okay. (laughs) Excellent. So (laughs) do go on. When you get across, she strips you down. And we'll get back to the stripping there in a bit. And gives your clothes to Kaneo, right? He hangs your clothes on the tree. And he judges you by the weight. Like, that's your sin. So if you walk across the bridge, your clothes are dry. And they don't weigh the branches down. If you wade across, your jeans are a little bit soggy, but your shirt's dry. And if you swim across, your clothes are completely soggy. And they bend it. And so, like, the tree is the judgment. And the sin is is the water. This is a very cause and effect sort of judgment. It's very literal. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't seem fair. Well, it's the very I asked fair about- because like the sinners get like the sinners get proof that they've sinned. Like how do you show a sinner is a sinner, right? Okay. Because they had to swim mm-hmm. the water, right? So it may be not, may, it may not be direct, but it is fair. The reason I asked about the Vitarna, which again we covered in the Rivers episode, is that if you're a good person, you see this lovely, pleasantly scented river. And if you're a bad person, you see this horrible thing with like floating cow carcasses in it mm. and such. So it's, again, this kind of multi, this kind of judgment experience of crossing a river. So maybe, again, common source in those myths. I, hmm. That's kind of a perspective thing, whereas here it's all the same river. It's just there's easy bits and there's not so easy bits of the river, right? Okay. And then back to actual rebirth. If you're not wearing clothes, she'll strip you of your skin. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Right? But because she's the goddess of both birth and death, when a soul goes out into the world, she gives you a brand new skin. Or I'm sorry, she lends you a brand new skin. You live your life, and when you're done, you give it back to her. She reclaims it, right? So uh. you are you, and she gives you the skin you're wearing for this lifetime, but it's her skin. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, we've got two aspects here. One is the judgy, and the other is the creation-y. And I feel like they overlapped some point prior. Does that make sense? Because she's doing two jobs. Well, that, that I didn't. I didn't have that rebirth part of her in my in my story. So that's neat. I didn't yeah. know that. I, well, mm-hmm. trying to track down mythology of another culture. On Google is, I mean, it, it gives you a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> my, my favorite Detsuba story, though, is how she handles the souls of children. Mm. Because as we all know, I love, you know, how we deal with the souls of children in hell. It makes yeah. me very happy. She uh, leaves them on the riverbank of the River of Three Roads and tells them that if they build little cairns out of rocks, they can build a stairway to heaven. 
Yes. And then knocks them down <laughs> whenever they're making any progress. And I think that's delightful. <laughs> Although um, the Bodhavista Jiso does occasionally come in and give them protection under his ropes and such and help them build things. So there's, a, there's an out for them as well. I think we've talked about that before. We have, yes. Mm-hmm. This is the it's, river episode again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And didn't we talk about it? In the satanic panic with Jason, because we were talking about the little needles making the little... It was related somehow. Huh. It was Smurfs. Hmm. Maybe we're we were talking about, about Smurfs. Is this the, the tofu needle thing? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that feels like it's part of that uh, Tsukami... Ooh, gosh. Tsukomukami... Uh, Tsukomukami... I can't do it. The 100-year-old object story, maybe. Oh, yeah. There's a sort of animistic vibe. Uh-huh. Readers, if you're listening at home, turn closed captioning on, and you should be able to see a transcript of the entire text. <laughs> it's nothing but gibberish. <laughs> Another kind of parallel to some recent stories we've been talking about is that Balatsuba is a baby tormentor, obviously. Mm-hmm. She's also invoked to help protect children and for lactation and mother things, and her statues are said to have healing powers. So she's kind of got that curse and blessing thing happening at the same time. So what do you attribute that to, like... I think just if you have a story that goes on for a few thousand years, it goes in new directions. I guess so. And every, yeah, generations and political yeah. upheavals and all kinds of things well, change yeah. the story. Fonzie yes. jumps the shark pool yep. and Lilith mm-hmm. starts healing children. Yep. I, th- I, think this, I think this comes down to, we just need to recognize that hags still play a part in society. Like they serve a purpose. They're part of our culture. Yeah. We live among well, them. Tetsuba's other name is Suzuka no Baba, which I guess is like a grandmother word. So there's probably mm-hmm. a matron element in there as mm-hmm. well, buried amongst the um, weird rock games and stripping people of their skin. I feel like, yeah, th- that's an interesting, the whole hag thing is interesting to explore because of the what role do women who are post- menopause have in society apart from healer or alewife alewife mm. or you know witch should we talk about the yomutsu shikomi uh, yokai whose name means ugly woman now yeah i feel like that's a nice segue yeah, another hag match. another hag um Bags so this of is hags <laughs> So this one is, uh, it's pretty much the female Oni. This is kind of a huge class of female demons. They tend to be old looking, monstrous, and as a category, they tend to be very involved in their own appearances. They're continually making themselves up and adding like eyeshadow and things like that, which just makes them look more hideous. And so they Mm -hmm. also have this tie to kind of comedic vanity happening as well. They're grotesques. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Grotesque and, and female grotesques as well. Comical overtones, but they're still basically a, a demonic category. This group is tied to the legend of Izanimi and Izanagi, who mm. were a creator-god-power couple back in the day, mm. until Izanami, the wife, died in childbirth. So in this story, and pick up the mythic parallels from other cultures, Izanagi grieved for his dead wife and went to Journey to Hell to find her. We've heard that one before, I think. And when she when he got to the land of Yomi, he was going to retrieve his wife and beg her to return to the surface. 
but she couldn't because she'd already eaten the food of the dead. Oh, rookie move. Ate I know, the I know. food of the <laughs> dead. Don't eat the food What's of the, the dead. What's the first rule of going to hell? Don't eat the food. It is possible that given the age of this story, she hadn't heard that legend yet. Oh. She also hasn't yeah. watched Troll 2. <laughs> no, almost certainly not. <laughs> So she asked Izanagi to wait for her wait for a bit and maybe come to visit her, but don't bring any light into the underworld. So again, that kind of Orpheus' journey thing happening. Uh, Izanagi went to the underworld to find her, found her in the Palace of the Dead, and lit a torch, because that's what you do, and found out that Izanami had turned into a horrible, rotting thing covered in maggots. Huh? And he ran away, and Izanami sent her servants, the Yomutsu Shikomi, to catch him. So these kind of death hags chase him out of of hell or the underworld mm-hmm. at the end of this story they chase him up to the uh they chase him upstairs and he rolls a boulder over the entrance to the uh to yomi so kind of separating the land of the living from the land of the dead and promptly gives birth to three or four major gods and goddesses for reasons that i'm not entirely clear on but uh yeah that's that's his story and kind of the origins of this this group of hags slash demons so who was it that turned into a pillar of salt Lot's wife. Lot's wife. Yeah. So this is. I, I feel like there's some Christian. There's some. There's some stuff happening here. Like Christianity may have borrowed some of these. Because this is this is pre-Christian, right? Oh yeah, totally. I don't know. It just seems very similar to to the story of Lot, and then a grave, like a, the boulder, kind of separating the. The world of the living from the dead. This is something that actual archaeologians have discussed and thought about. But, like, I was looking at timelines. So, we did Acadia, Sumeria, which is about 4000 BCE. Mm -hmm. The start of that, it was actually, like, what, 2500 years of that. Um, Japan, the, the Jomon culture, which was the start of the non indigenous, was about 4000 BCE. So they're right around the same time, mm-hmm. and we had massive trade routes across India and Asia and Europe. Yep. So it's like we're at the amount of time where there it looks like there's an awful lot of shared mythology just because we could. Does that make sense? So yeah. I, I'm going to go ahead and call it, they listen to each other's stories. And stole or borrowed. Yeah, yeah. Reappropriated. Uh, appropriated motifs. Yeah. I feel like maybe we should make like a digital timeline or map or something showing all Ooh, of these things. That'd be fun. That would be fun. I, I'm seeing more of an Osiris tie-in because in the story of Osiris, you've got a creator god who was dismembered by somebody and his parts were kind of buried and they kind of did their best to Frankenstein him back together, but he was stuck in the underworld because he was never complete again. It's the separation of the living and the dead um, and kind of division of powers mm-hmm. almost. Yeah, that's fair. I mean... We, we've got day and night, mm-hmm. and upstairs and downstairs. The yeah, the seasons. Country and western. <laughs> I, I'm kind of getting some elements of Persephone, too, thrown into this. Mm, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What highlights, what, what would you say the biggest shared traits are on this one? Is it the, is it the lost wife, or is it the... Uh, not conquering the underworld. So this is kind of a creator goddess and she helped make the land of Japan and the 
first world and she and her partner were pretty major world builder deities. So Persephone being the goddess of the harvest, that does kind of feel like perhaps that level of importance in creation. Didn't we get some of that too with Mektikasi Waddle where she was the creator god? No, she was, she was flayed as an infant. Never mind. Yeah. She didn't really have time to come into her own there. Yeah. Hmm. But the, but the other guy was the creator like there's a lot of this creation is destruction which i mean that's a very broad category but maybe i think all gods had to do all sorts of work when they started out before we really got into the business of separating portfolios out i guess i guess we've said that before Eh. on a very similar note uh victoria i actually bought a hammond organ on ebay a genuine 70s (gasps) and i'm starting a band called the persephones do you want to join (laughs) Nice. <laughs> sure, if you want to join my new band, Wheel Priest. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> I had a, one of my icons on a social media platform that no longer really exists had a pomegranate and said, Persephone is the reason for the season. <laughs> I have a question about um, Shikome and the story of the Shikome uh, chasing after Izanagi. And yeah. he threw uh, grapes? Or he threw his hat and it turned into grapes? Yeah, that makes sense. Isn't that similar? What is the story of... It's a Greek sto- Greek myth about the throwing apples to distract. Am I... Uh, was that Eris and the apples of discord? Yes, uh, I think so, yes. right? The, to the fairest one, I think it was, yeah. I don't, it just again was one of those little hmm. connections to me. Um, the, the, the god, various goddesses were in a fight over who was the prettiest one. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, Eris gave people golden apples of discord that caused war, and then the Trojan War happened. I'm garbling my mythology a fair bit. And there another, I thought it was, well, thought it was maybe Helen's it. fault. Helen well, of Troy? Yeah, yeah. but she Melon was, Troy. she was given to the judge as a, as a present. I'd rather have a Helen than a golden apple, I'll be honest. It's really nice apples. Um, a lot of it, I think, echoes the story of Orpheus and his journey to the underworld where you can't look back when you rescue your wife. That's, mm-hmm. That really feels like a lot of the heart of this story, too. Uh, you could, I, mean, hmm. I would say Orpheus echoes that. Sure, but uh, common cause, okay. common source somewhere, maybe. Yeah. I, don't, I don't honestly know. But yeah, the same motifs. Yeah, de- death is final, and people that try and cheat it, it never works out. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, he threw his hat, and it turned into vines. He threw pieces of his comb, and they turned into bamboo. Yeah. He, he, I mean, it's a creator god. I guess he can do that sort of thing. That same comb, earlier in the story, he was like, it's dark. So one of the things was, she was like, it's dark, keep it dark, don't look at me. And he takes his comb, and he transforms it into a torch. Right, And there's a lot of this transformation magic in, I'm not going to say all Asian, but in a bunch of Asian stories, there's this transformation, right? The, the Chinese monkey who had three ear hairs, and he'd pluck one out, and it'd become a staff. He'd pluck one out and become a rope, right? This making what you need out of everyday elements. Yeah, what you have on hand. Huh. Like, you've got the, the uh, what's the shystery, tricky, up-your-sleeve stuff, conjurable... Ledger domain? Ledger domain. Not, not a single syllable matched. I'd just like to be... But you were, you were uh, like, conjuring hmm. 
ledger domain. Also, they could see my hand motions and you couldn't. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. You were doing some fast finger work there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pomegranates. 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 I want to talk about Kishojimojin. Ooh, oh boy. Kishimojin, um, mm. who is the mother of demons, a title that we've seen from Lilith as well. She was apparently a Roxasha-type demon who had hundreds of children, maybe 500 of them, and she would steal other people's kids to feed them and possibly engage in cannibalism herself. And there's a lot of pomegranates in her story, and they serve all sorts of different roles, and I don't understand the connection. <laughs> but uh, in some versions, she gets hooked on cannibalism after eating pomegranates, because pomegranates are so much like human flesh. What? <laughs> so I, pomegranates were the gateway to cannibalism. I, I wonder if this is like opossums, which are extremely cute in New Zealand and extremely horrible in Texas. Mm, oh, they're maybe not like, horrible in Texas. Maybe pomegranates in Japan are more like human, human flesh, flesh than they are babies. Here. <laughs> yeah, little babies. Are- <laughs> Omnom. Are we saying pomegranates or persimmons? Pomegranates. It is pomegranates. It is. Persimmons are nothing like human flesh, John. Well, no, because you say this, persimmons in the West and persimmons in the East are different. Like, persimmons here yes. are these soft, wrinkly, like, terrible, squishy, mushy, gross, but they taste really good. But pomegranates in the East are these ripe, firm, juicy, zoftig, like, you almost crunch it like an apple. They are, they can be wonderful and they can be horrible. Just like I'm human flesh. Right, right, right. And full of pips. But I feel like that's an excuse, like, oh, I only started eating human flesh because I like persimmons. Like, you kind of have to know what human flesh is like to know that a persimmon is like human flesh, and then to go start eating human flesh because persimmons reminded you how much you enjoyed human flesh. Well, we're going to get the persimmon industry on our tails if we're not careful, so this is a pomegranate oh, story. Oh, sorry, mm. pomegranate. So, yes, it, just just think of what I just said, but with pomegranates instead of persimmons. So either that happened or the Buddha said to her, don't do cannibalism, have a pomegranate. And she switched entirely to pomegranates and fed all of her kids pomegranates forever. Yeah, that's the story I've heard where she was eating tababis, just like Moloch. Uh-huh. And then Buddha, the Buddha said to her, here's a uh, safe and healthy alternative. To babies. Yeah, to babies. It's, it comes in a patch form. It lasts for a month. <laughs> Just stick it on your arm. But no, he was like, stop doing that. Here's a here's a healthy outlet instead. It's called yeah. fruit. Yeah, very, very it's a it's it's um it's a superfood. So it's like CBT but for cannibalism. Have you ever had a pomegranate? They like it's I can't like I've never eaten human flesh. But mm-hmm. pulling all those little tiny wiggly things out and chewing on them one by one, like that hang on. It's, it seems like a different experience. This is my finger. You're like yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, nothing, I mean, nothing like that. <laughs> You're like, what kind of humans are you eating that are full of... Unripe oops. ones? <laughs> yeah, that happens. <laughs> Heavil- yeah, heavily seeded humans. You don't, I guess we're, you know, like, you want the seedless humans. There's some Lilithy elements in this story because sometimes she has to give birth to as many children as she took to replace them. So that's 500 oh. children or so. She gives birth to demons to repay her debts. I don't know how that works exactly. Maybe I'm misreading that. But she does have this kind of this mother of demons thing that Lilith shares. And some of that tragedy element as well. Although in some versions, when she encounters the Buddha, she becomes enlightened and becomes a protector of children instead in a fairly hardcore way. So pomegranates are really good for you and they can turn cannibals around. Oh, well, that makes sense. I mean, they, they do have uh, 
antioxidants. So <laughs> demons are known oxidizers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. What are they? Uh, free radicals. The freest of radicals. <laughs> Fatty acids. Do you want to talk Not about the good kind? Do you want to talk about Kitsune? Oh, Ooh. do I want to talk about Kitsune? <laughs> I want to talk about the foxy ladies. <laughs> so the reason why. I went down a little bit of a foxhole, so to speak, is because of Lovecraft, two things, Lovecraft Country and um, Sandman Dream Hunters. So in both of those, uh, there are these fox demons. Have, have you guys either seen Lovecraft Country or read the Dream Hunters? What is Lovecraft Country? Lovecraft Country? Was a, um, I think, well, I don't know if there's going to be another season, but it was a HBO series based on, based on a book called Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country. So not an actual Lovecraft production. Mm -mm. Okay. Okay. Cause I'm, I thought I was pretty knowledgeable on the Shoggoths and the the Yoggoths, but okay. Foxy. No, no no real relation except that it's kind of Southern horror and it's uh, got 80% less racism. Than, than Lovecraft. Yes. Mm. <laughs> but so, so yes, and Lovecraft Country definitely picks up on the racism of Lovecraft and the South. But so in Lovecraft Country, there's a fox demon. It's a Kumiho. And in the Dream Hunters, there's the Kitsune. Mm-hmm. And I was very confused about the difference because they seem very similar. And it turns out, there's actually this whole tradition in uh, Chinese, Japanese, and Korean mythology of these fox demons mm-hmm. that take on different attributes according to what mythology they are and according to what time period or what dynasty their stories were uh, created in. But they all, so the, the Kitsune, of course, is, is the Japanese, Kimio is um, Korean, and then, Jamin, you're going to have to help me with this one. The Holy Jing is a Chinese fox. Spell it. It's um, H-U-L-I-J-I-N-G. H-U-L-I. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's, it's, I don't know what the tones are, but it's Huli Jiang. Huli Jiang. Close enough. Okay. I didn't get it right. So, <laughs> I think that sounds better than the way I was saying it, so I'm going to go with that. But um, they also, they all tend to have some things in common. They all tend to have... Up to nine tails, mm-hmm. or in some cases they have more tails depending how long-lived they are. Mm-hmm. They're all shapeshifters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they particularly take on the shape of comely young women, so they're very different from a hag creature, even though sometimes they do appear as hags. But most stories have a sexual element, and therefore they are these comely young women that are preying on males. They all involve, there's a ritual that they have to do to become fully human. Sometimes that involves having to kill a thousand men. Sometimes it involves just wearing a skull on one's head. And uh, in some cases they are blamed for various diseases. So the Kitsune, which is the one that uh, interests us the most right now. And so this, in this case, like the, the Kumiyo is, is almost always this terrible man devourer creature. Mm-hmm. The Kitsune tends to be like a more trickster kind of kinder. Pardon me? Kind of a trickster. 
Yeah, like it can be a trickster yeah. or it can be sort of a guiding religious being. Like a good version of a Kitsune is a, a Kiko or a Zenko. Um, those are technically like literally good foxes and they're benevolent celestial foxes. Those are the ones associated with Anari, the Shinto goddess of rice. And they're the ones that are very fond of fried tofu and they're typically depicted as having white fur. The bad ones, uh, or the trickster ones, they're not necessarily bad, are called the Yeko, and those are field foxes, and those tend to not have the same human attributes that the good ones have mm-hmm. in many cases. I'd heard that there's kind of the Kitsune stories and the Tanuki stories, the shape-changing raccoons, mm-hmm. and they kind of fill very similar ecological niches. Yeah. And a lot of ghost stories and yokai that don't turn up too often in other stories including the, the animated items ones, are actually either Kitsune or Tanuki playing weird jokes. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of joke playing. Uh, there's a lot of comeuppance that they are responsible for. Like they tend to kind of um, trick people who need to be taken down a peg, yeah. like samurai. Um, there's a lot of samurai and Kitsune stories. So there's a belief that these stories still have their, the Kitsune mythology does have some connection to the Chinese, how did you say that again? Huli Jing? Huli Jiang. Huli Jiang. Because that type of fox spirit is not necessarily a demon, more of a spirit Mm. that has this possibility to be a benefactor or a trickster. Right. Yeah. So either, you know, but in the Japanese tradition, uh, the seductress aspect actually came in through Buddhism. So that was not really present until huh. there was kind of a, a Buddhist connection and these Chinese stories. The parts that are unique to Japan, however, one of them is that there was this belief that, and this goes into the disease part, that people could be possessed by foxes. Mm-hmm. And do you, have you heard of this before? I have so many Kitsune stories from various eras, like, they're still being told. Like, we've still got modern kitsune stories, we've got very old modern kitsune stories. And again, just because, like, the samurai period wasn't that long ago, there are stories of my grandfather married a kitsune, and Mm -hmm. she gave him three strong sons, and he never caught her. And then one day he was out in the fields, and he saw a fox, and he, he shot it with an arrow, and it was a beautiful pelt, and he like skinned it to bring it home to his wife, and his wife wasn't there, right? And so we never knew what happened to great grandma. Here is this pelt that grandfather shot for her. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. there's there's a hundred variations on that specific story. There's a million of them. You could write a good book on fun kitsune stories. And you know who did? Well, he didn't write about entirely kitsune stories, but um, Lafcadio Hearn, the Greek Irish author best known for his Japanese, his um, retellings of Japanese ghost stories. Yeah. And so he, speaking of the possessions, um, there was this belief that the Kitsune were capable of all kinds of things like generating fireballs, these particular kinds of light balls, creating, uh, like manifesting themselves in the dreams of others. Mm -hmm. They were able to be invisible. They could fly and they could create illusions that were indistinguishable from reality as well as possessing people. So usually they possessed young women and they often went through their fingernails or through their breasts. And in some cases 
the person who was possessed, their facial expression changed to be more vulpine, Hmm. which was also seen as being very beautiful. So they they could also make formerly illiterate people suddenly able to read, which is a plus. Oh, nice. It's like LeVar Yeah, I know. So it's a win-win, really. But Lafcadio Hearn describes the condition of being possessed by, by Kitsune, saying that sometimes they run naked, shouting through the streets. Sometimes they lie down and froth at the mouth and yelp as the fox yelps. And in some part of the body of the possessed, a moving lump appears under the skin, which seems to have a life of its own. Prick it with a needle and it glides instantly to another place. By no grasp can it be so tightly compressed by a strong hand that it will not slip from under the fingers. Possessed folk are also said to speak and write languages of which they were totally ignorant prior to possession. They eat only what foxes are believed to like, tofu, abarage, azuki meshi, etc. And they eat a great deal, alleging that not they, but the possessing foxes are hungry. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like there's, there's some excuses there. But again, um, he says that once freed from the possession, the victim would never again be able to eat tofu or any of these other foods. So these people who were uh, possessed were often exercised in an Inari shrine. Sometimes they were, if the priest was not there to uh, oversee, they might, the victims might be badly burned or beaten in order to drive out the foxes. So anybody who had a family member who was possessed by Kitsune were also uh, ostracized by the community. The possession is often called um, Kitsunetsuki, was uh, it's it's a known condition, a culture bound, but it's specific to Japanese culture of being possessed by a fox. And so again, the people who are possessed crave these certain foods, and they are listless and have an aversion to eye contact. So hmm. um, hipsters, yeah, exactly. Some of the good things that Katsuni do specifically as these um, servants of Inari. Um, they are protective, they protect shrines, and they intervene on behalf of the locals and aid against d- dark spirits. And they're also supposed to be seen as good omens. Even uh, the mere statue of a fox can dispel um, evil, and certain shrines uh, feature a lot of statues of foxes, mm-hmm. much like mm-hmm. the sake. And the kitsune, as I was saying, like the kumiho, is again has a lot of the same attributes, <laughs> but Camillo, they eat livers. are straight up. Yeah, they, eat, they livers. eat livers, hearts, entire people. They hang out in graveyards. Uh, if they can't eat people, they will snack on livestock. Again, they they are the ones who wear a human skull in order to transform into into human beings. They are known for vampirism. They can also create illusions. They also will steal energy from people. Right. And mm-hmm. the kumio are less the kind of deity that, oh, let's be nice to these guys so they treat us right, and more, this is abject terror in the dark, and something just went bump, right? We, we, watched, yeah. we watched an adorable uh, Korean sitcom called, I believe it's My Girlfriend is a Nine-Tailed Gumio. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was about this guy, his, he's just a guy, but his girlfriend was uh, one of these fox shape changers. And she was always kind of trying to decide whether to help him out that episode or to eat him. <laughs> it's the, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, girls, what are you going to do? Also, again, even when in human form, the 
Kumeho also have distinctly foxy features and um, their stories, again, just like the, the Kitsune of them being uh, found out because of their tail, their tails. So they're always trying to hide their tails, but there are a lot of stories of people trying trick, tricking them into exposing their tails. There's a picture and, and it's kind of an old, like watercolory scroll wet brush of a young lady in a like full hanbok, the Korean dress, and she has the very faintest like pencil mustachio, and mm-hmm. just like the tiniest little goatee, and she's like beautiful woman otherwise, and very feminine, and the most effeminate mustache ever, and you and like this is <laughs> that Kumiho, right? Scroll down to the scroll notes right now, see if I made it. <laughs> to the scroll notes, scroll on down to the scroll notes. Remember, goatees um, are evil, no matter who's wearing them. It's true. It's true. Uh, supposedly, Camille, you can also tell them because they're definitely afraid of dogs. Hmm. But sometimes when they have stolen, because the stealing of somebody's essence requires this ball that they have to convey into their victim's mouth with oh, yeah, the, a deep kiss. Yeah. Oh. And in some cases, it actually gives the gift of, of um, spiritual sight to the person who's the um it, who is on the other receiving end of this kiss that's going to be a shocker <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it is yeah so this person often is not a, <laughs> they are given this gift better not do not know how to use it give this gift in a position not to appreciate it as they're being kissed by a fox <laughs> <laughs> exactly screaming ensues <laughs> in some cases they they do lose this evil character again through by abstaining from eating human flesh for a thousand days. It can become human. Mm. So, I mean, I've heard two different stories like you pomegranates. This is the way it's like, you know, the patch or, you know, people chewing on cinnamon sticks to stop smoking. But um, it's kind of a variation because either in some cases it's like you have to kill, at least in uh, Lovecraft country, I think she has to kill, a certain number of men before she, she can become human, but you also can abstain from human flesh for, for a thousand days and become human. They're not seen as having the same powers as the Kitsune because they're evil. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I lied to you. It's, it is Huli Jing, not Jiang. It's the, the pink. Huli Jing. Jing. Okay, Jing, yeah. like uh, it has to go kind of the inflection up at the end. Huli Jing. Huli Jing. And so that's basically fox spirit, or the other one's just like literally nine-tailed fox. Yeah, so I was just going to briefly mention the, the Chinese Huli, Huli, Huli Jing. Is that Perfect, Huli? perfect. Okay. <laughs> Again, they're, they're more, uh, they're shapeshifters as well that are, um, they're worshipped in some cases, and they were seen as these trickster figures that you could partner with for protection. During the Tang Dynasty, there was a saying, where there's no fox demon, no village can be established. So they're load-bearing oh, wow. um, <laughs> figures. Yeah, yeah. And their spirit cults, like I said, um, one in particular was dedicated to Dajol, female fox spirit. But and it became outlawed and suppressed during subsequent dynasties. But again, they were capable of having human form mm-hmm. and had immortality. 
This again, they could become human by placing skulls on their heads. This one, though, is associated with a culture-bound delusional disorder called Koro. And that is the belief, an overpowering belief of an individual that their sex organs are retracting and will disappear. So this mass hysteria has uh, sprung out of the, of this disorder, like mass uh, spread. There's been mass uh, events of people experiencing these disorders historically throughout uh, Africa, Asia, and Europe. Yeah, there's and a similar one where in the in the Malus Maleficorum, where men were concerned that their junk was being taken away and hidden in trees by witches. Yes, exactly. So it's the same same thing. Um, you think you could just check? One one thinks one could, but no. Also, if you leave the fan on when you go to sleep, it sucks all the oxygen out of the room and you die. So yeah, so that's that was my foray into foxy demon ladies heck yeah you know what i'm googling later tonight (laughs) can i tell you my favorite fox demon story yes please and i don't know if it's kitsune or the huli the, the the chinese so a kitsune was prowling around and he saw an old lady uh gathering sticks to heat her house and so he followed her home and he transformed into a traveler oh it's a male kitsune those are kind of rare he knocks on her door and he says, old lady, I've traveled far and I am hungry and I am cold. May I stay here tonight? And she looks around her hovel. There's nothing. And she has a few sticks and she says, yes, traveler, come in. And so she uses what few sticks she has and she builds a small fire. And he says, I'm hungry. Uh, do you have any food? And she looks around and all she has are a few daikon, uh, the, the slicey radishes. And so she makes some soup, some daikon soup. And... She puts in just a pinch of salt, because all she has is a pinch of salt. And she puts in just a dab of grease, because all she has is a dab of grease. And she makes the worst, wateriest soup ever. And because she put in a pinch of salt, it brought flavor out. And because she put in a dab of grease, it melted. And as it boiled, little dots of grease popped up. Hundreds of little, beautiful little dots of oil floating on the soup. And he said, bless you, woman. For you have given me your all. For every droplet of grease floating on the top of this soup, it will turn into a gold coin. And, uh, I don't know, presto, change, oh, poof, bibbidi bobbidi boo suddenly she's got a soup pot of gold coins, and she's happy, right? And so she buys warm clothes, and she buys coal, and she buys, like, pork fat so she can eat well, and she buys her grandkids some, like, veggie games or something. And so, like, her life is transformed. But the lord, the, um, the, the daimyo's wife comes to her and he, she says how did you be so rich and she, of course the old lady blah 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 and you know like there's some back and forth and finally the the diamond's wife is like tell me or else and so the old lady says well i was out traveling and such and such and such and such and so of course the diamond's wife who is rich and lordly and lady is like okay i'm gonna do some of this and so she sits by the roads and she waits just any random traveler and of course so the kitsune is about and he sees this, this daimyo's wife. I'm sure there's a word for daimyo's wife. And he transforms himself into a traveler. And the lady grabs him by the shoulder and she's like, come with me. And she drags him back to the house. And she's like, sit. Are you okay? Would you like some soup? Would you like a fire? Until she builds a raging fire. And she's like, I'm going to feed you something good. 
And so she makes this massive, like, soup. And she puts in daikon and radish and celery and shishito peppers and half a pig and four potatoes and three onions and some bacon for good measure. And she makes this massive vat of soup. And she serves it to him. And because there's so much oil and so much fat in the soup, it all congeals together into one blob on the top. And it just kind of sits there, gloop, 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 this viscous, nasty-looking thing. And he says, ah, well, uh, ma'am, uh, thank you for treating me so well. Uh, as a reward for every blob of grease in the soup, may you have one gold coin. And because she was so greedy and she put in so much oil, there was just one blob and she got one gold coin. But because she was the Lord's wife anyway, she was already rich. And so she got nothing out of it. The moral of this story. I got none. I got none, man. Like, <laughs> be nice to people. Don't don't be heinous. I think that kind of ties into a lot of yokai stories because yeah. there's a a strong, like, ghost story element. A lot of them come across as stories like the the hitchhiking girl or the hook or whatever mm-hmm. one of my favorite yokai is the uh aoandon which or blue lantern and this is the ghost of ghost stories basically there was a party game and i guess this is in the 1700s the edo period and oh boy these games were called hayamaku monogatari Ooh, well Kaidankai. done oh. Kaidanke. i think i might have gotten that one right a gathering of 100 ghost stories and they people would light a hundred candles and and put them inside of blue lanterns and each person would tell people would tell a story and snuff a candle and tell a story and snuff a candle and the the lights would get all more flickering and weird as the candles started going out and if you told the hundredth story and put out the last candle the aon on monster would appear and probably kill everybody so generally, nobody Ooh. ever told the 99th story. That Bloody Mary. There. It is like Bloody yeah, Mary. Yeah, yeah, So, like, there's two sides to this. One is abject terror, things that go bump in the night. Yes. And what is good society, right? Yeah. The, the mm-hmm. trickster goddess. Oh, oh, wait. Okay. Aoandon is, is a woman, too. It's a female ghost. Well, damn, damn ah, those women mm-hmm. in their flickery blue lights. Mm-hmm. And they're teaching people lessons. Right. So, like, <laughs> things that children scare each other with versus stories we ch- tell children to portray how to act in society, mm-hmm. and how not to be heinous, right? If you're going to treat someone well, treat it well for their benefit, not for your benefit, right? And yeah. a lot of this comes back to, like, well, I say it comes back to, it's, it's much newer, like, the coyote trickster. Or the, that yep. one spider trickster where you're going to learn a lesson. It may be at your expense, and you may die, but you're going to end up mm-hmm. smarter. And I'm going to be amused either way. Yeah, and I feel like the Kitsune, like, the traveler story is in every single culture. From the oh, Andes yeah. to Ireland of, of to a be. trickster figure, you know, kind of uh, giving somebody their comeuppance uh, when that person is trying to, come up to and trick them. Yeah, comeuppance is the best word to use. And I probably actually mm-hmm. just told you an Irish story tale instead of a Japanese one. But I mean, it's the same story. Uh, and it's like the Fox Boy stories uh, in the Andes. But those are really at least R-rated, if not X-rated in many mm. cases. 
Whenever I think of like The Ring or something like that, I think of horror that doesn't really make too many moral judgments. You just kind of die sometimes, and it's it's not necessarily under your control. That's part of the darkness of that kind of story. And Mm -hmm. uh, the Wheel Priest, I think, will kind of bring that one to the foreground if you want to go down that road. Weren't we? Didn't we start a band called the Wheel Priests? We did the Wheel Priests. There's Mm -hmm. There's a backstory. (laughs) <laughs> wheel praise wheel praise so to stick praise. to stick with the the women of hell angle there's two versions of this particular yokai there's the crippled wheels the katawagoroma maybe probably and these not. these appear <laughs> what probably not probably not these appear as flaming wheels with a naked tormented woman riding in them so like the wheels uh, are wearing hot pants and like flowery no. shirts <laughs> No, no, no. It's 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 it's, it's, it's a, naked. It's a cartwheel with a woman mm-hmm. bound into it, sort of Saint Catherine style, I think. Is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow, got one right. And she's on fire and in a lot of pain. And these things are very bad omens. Oh, that kind of flaming. Yes. Oh. Um, mm. The male version is Wayunudo, I guess. This is the wheel priest. This looks like a flaming wheel with a giant, scary man's head uh, shaped like a monk's, burning in it forever. Both of these entities are very much servants of hell. They ride around and drag people back to hell with them. They look for wicked criminals. They look for corrupt priests. But if they can't find them, they'll just take anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I so mean, there's you a, know. That's where you, you make friends with priests. That's how they roll. Oh. Ooh. Ooh, good. But there's an element of arbitrary horror there, and I don't think you can necessarily learn, learn valuable life lessons of it. It's also kind of interesting, the difference between the female version and the male version of this particular story. The crippled wheel, one of the stories about them is, in one 17th century story, a woman peeked through a crack in her door to see one of these wheels drive, rolling past, and the crippled wheel, I'm not going to try the name, said, instead of watching me, you should have been watching your own child, and oh, took her child away. Oh, <laughs> snap. Yeah. Dang. So she she wrote a poem. So the one mother wrote a poem to say how bad she was, and took it all around town so that everybody would know how bad she was, and warning the other people to to take care of their children. And then the wheel came back and saw that she'd truly shown regret and gave her back the child and was never seen in the village again. How Happy was endings. that not society? Like I'm not finished. Oh, uh oh, oh no. <laughs> I'm about to be sad. Yeah, the Wayunudo version. Same context, woman peeks through her window to see the Wayunudo pass through town. The demon says, instead of looking at me, you should look at your own child. And this is the urban legend part. She looks back at her baby, who is screaming, in a pool of blood, with both of its legs torn off. And the Wayunudo was chewing on the legs, eating, uh, eating the legs and grinning madly. Oh my gosh, so the, the wheel was in the house? The wheel is in the house. I guess so, yeah. So, yeah, that's that kind of arbitrary <laughs> terror thing, and I don't think you can really, like, make a clear lesson from that one. <laughs> wow. Okay, so two takeaways. Yes. You're in Japan, make friends with the priest and keep him around mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that the... He'll go first. Yeah, he'll go first. And second, always keep pomegranates on hand. Just... To stave off cannibalism. Yeah, just to give to random <laughs> cannibals and be like, hey, look, hey... Listen, I'm saving this one for Moloch. Why don't you have a nice pomegranate? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that makes total yeah. sense. Oh, weird aside, the Kutsune inspired a rock, paper, scissors type game in Japan. Did you know that? Is it? So it's... 
It's fucked chicken bag of corn. <laughs> <laughs> There's a river. You got a boat. <laughs> no, it's it's a uh, it's called Katsune Ken. It's supposed to reference the Katsune's power over human beings, and so instead of rock paper scissors, you have the three hand positions signify a fox, a hunter, and a village headman. And the headman beats the hunter, whom he outranks. The hunter beats the fox, whom he shoots. And then the fox beats the headman, whom he bewitches. Oh. So it's a whole other thing. Interesting. You are both moderately film buffs. Yes. Which I'm not. Have you seen Akira Kurosawa's Dreams? No, I have not seen that I'm one. I'm so much better than you. I mean. No, you, oh. showed, you showed it to me. Yeah, you've seen it. You, that was a movie night. <laughs> yeah. There's, so when, was, when did that one come oh, out? Oh, like, as, like 4,000 BCE. So is it? Edo okay. period. Yeah. No, like 70s. Okay. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Akira Kurosawa was amazing in the 70s, fun in the 90s, interesting in like 2010, and now like we've moved on. But there's a scene in which he is a child, he's out, and the sun is shining, and it's raining, and he's like monologuing. The Kitsune hold their weddings when the yeah. rain falls mm-hmm. when the sun is shining. And he's out, and the Kitsune walk by, and they have their wedding, and it's like super tense. And then as one, they all look at him, like young, tiny, baby Akira Kurosawa. And then he runs back home, and his mom locks the gate, and she's like, you shouldn't have looked. I can't let you in, son. And he's like, but mom! And then he cries, and then scene and it's yeah right like in the 70s or 90s 60s or 90s it was 90s yeah, yeah 1990. this one was made i just looked it up okay and I, i've seen clips of this i haven't seen the whole thing but now i realize i've seen like the i've seen one, one of these vignettes like it's such a beautiful film the field of the waterfalls the soldiers he does such a good job but there's a kitsune story mm-hmm. and it's present and it's emotional and like you watch it and you're like this is real feelings man real real yeah. low budget feelings but still you know we tried but the kitsune wedding like that that shows up a lot there are a lot of stories about encountering kitsune weddings yeah. as well yeah uh, we're, we're big fans my partner and i are big fans of the kitsune story in love death and robots Oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know that. Uh, if you seen, I know. I've heard of that. Like, I know that, but I don't know the. A pair of demon hunters encounter Kitsune in 18th century Japan, and then they kind of roll forward with it into a steampunk scenario in, I guess, early 1900s Japan. Uh, it's it's dark, very dark. Has nudity, has a lot of horror, but it's got a beautiful steampunky robot fox person. Lovely. Hmm. Lovely animation on that one. Uh, find us uh, an animated for the show notes, and I will click it. I will. Well, that was a fun, brief look into a bunch of the fun and terrifying women of hell in this specific culture, uh, Japan, the yokai of Japan. Yeah, you could say that. I don't have a second line. <laughs> no, that's fine. The first, you didn't really have a first one either. I think that's good. <laughs> I think that's good. Yeah, yeah. I also want to throw out another band project for us, Fox Fist. Fox Fist? Fox Fist. Terrifying. That's the name, that's the uh, literal translation of Kitsune Ken. Fox Fist. Fox Fist. So, Volpine. Mm-hmm, that's our craft work. That's our craft work influenced electronica band. Volpine Punch. 
<laughs> I would like I would like to encourage you, the listener, to consider liking us on your favorite podcatcher, subscribing to us on your favorite co- podcatcher, and commenting on your favorite podcatcher, as long as that podcatcher is iTunes, because I don't think you can comment anywhere else. And yeah. better yet, I would encourage you to set up 72 accounts, one for each of the Sephiroth, and subscribe to The Dispatchist <laughs> while meditating on the virtues of each divine emanation. And I think we'd all benefit from that level of obsessive mind- mindfulness. Oh, yes. Yes, we would. Yeah. Um, also, you could retweet us every now and then, if that was cool. That'd be nice. That's nice. Follow us on Facebook, maybe. Mm. And uh, until you do all of those things, we'll see you in hell. This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. Okay, the pure spirits. Wait, oh, wait, four fox sake. No, I don't get it, man. I, I don't get it. <laughs>